Welcome, welcome, welcome to this week's Into the Wilderness podcast. It actually feels forever since we put one out, but it's only two weeks. It's just that we've I think been, it's just been we recorded a whole bunch on the same go. Yeah, we? and we've been kind of really busy and uh, coming back from Svalbard, and then I was in Norway, and I've just come back from the north of Scotland. And you just come back from the north of Scotland, and I've been on the hills. And I was I was, I was interviewing Jeremy Paxman yesterday. Hmm? Doesn't yeah. get much bigger uh, in in the sort of BBC broadcasting world than Jeremy Paxman. I can't tell you what that's about yet, but I was interviewing Jeremy Paxman for a very important film project, which will be out in, I think, the next few weeks. But we will I'll tell you where to find that when I'm allowed to tell you. Well, that'll be interesting. I don't even know what has it, been said. It's because when I, when I, that was arranged, Daryl was in Norway. Yeah. Tell us about Norway, Daryl, because I actually haven't really had time to ask you about it, but I saw that you were ice fishing. Well, I went to Norway on holiday... And uh, uh, I went with Lisa, who we're having on the podcast in, a, I think, the next podcast. She will probably be on it, or the one after. Um, and, f- yeah, for once, it was a- it was actually a holiday. I only took... You took your missus? Uh, I, took, I took my wife, and we kind of did a huge... I can't actually believe how much we did. Uh, so we went out snowmobiling in Sweden. Uh, we went ice fishing. We went normal fishing for cod. We went... Did you catch uh, anything in the sea? No, apparently it was seaweed. Just, apparently, been a bit cold, oh. um, so the cod weren't running there yet. So That's I, a I threw a lure in, and we lost a few. But, uh, but the, I mean, don't me wrong. I know there is plenty of fish in Norway. It was just the wrong time of the year um, to kind of be. But you were th- successful with ice fishing. Successful ice fishing, and then what else did we do? Then I went cross country skiing, which I've never skied in my life, and I have to say, I was quite good. <laughs> you good. do say so yourself. Uh, well, everyone kept telling me I was good. So either they're being really, really nice to me, or um, or Did they're you enjoy lying to me. it? I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, uphill's fine. So I mean, uh, genuinely, going uphill is no bother whatsoever. Um, it's just that the the skills of learning how to go down. Uh, it wasn't even downhill. It was a problem. It was the steep downhill that was an issue. Um, and anyone that has skied or anything, uh, you probably. The first thing you learn is probably how to plow going downhill, and I didn't know how to do this. And it was quite a thing, as it was because it's cross country. You know, it's not like these are uh, nicely plowed. Um, you know, well, sections, nice and even, nice and even, and it's full of trees. So you were going downhill, so you got to be able to know how to plow and turn at the same time. So there's a lot to think about for someone that had never been on skis before. Deep end. So yeah, when I was going downhill on the steep bits, I yeah, I kind of fell over quite a bit. But going uphill, no falling over, it was fine. Has it intrigued you enough to get a set of skis for the Scottish snow season? No, I was thinking about not this in the Scotland. Other... No, no, because no, it's just our, it's just crap here. Really, but this year you could have done it. It has, but I just can't. But it's not. I just can't of imagine. Snow, also, it? it's not. It's not six foot of snow, and. It obviously there is some sections that get six foot, but it's not. And it's, you know the bits that have got the small snow, you're skiing on top of heather. It's just not. Mm. I don't know. So just no, s- no skiing in Scotland for you, but you'll probably be going. Back I don't to know do it if we have. You know what? If we have another bumper winter, then it's the kind of thing that maybe maybe it would be worthwhile getting a pair of skis. But it's, it's, I think it's fairly expensive. It too. is. It's not cheap. 
Um, but I mean, who knows? Because if it's the kind of thing that you start doing more of, get better at it, and you start going to Norway and Austria and places like that, and you know they hunt on skis, so shotgun on the back and. You imagine hunting, mountains hunting hinds it, on skis here. In uh, in Norway, they're not allowed to like use mechanical means to get to places, so their only option is to ski. You got to graft it in, yeah, to to shoot grouse. And and honestly, you can't walk. There's, I mean, maybe if you had big ass snowshoes, but you could, there's no way you could walk because it's just too soft, and the skis just allow you. You cover incredible distances in very short space of time. So I can understand why people do it, and. Uh, Obviously, David C.P. and Tommy and um, who else? Uh, was uh, Nikolai Sweden. was, Nikolai was yeah. in Sweden. And they were cross-country skiing, um, yeah. hunting there. So I that was f- Cap Cayley they were trying I to hunt. I fully understand why you, why they do it. And now I have an f- appreciation for it. And I would like to do it again. It definitely didn't put me off. It made me want to do it again. Um, so, I, yeah, it was, I think well worthwhile. I'm trying to think what else I didn't know. I think that's enough for four days. Well, you, did, you did a big uh, snow bike trip, didn't you? Over in Sweden. Yes, yeah, yeah. So in uh, in Sweden, uh, from my understanding of everyone, uh, you can kind of go wherever you want uh, over the hills within reason, I think. Um, and then you can go and uh, drill a hole in the ice and go fishing. But in Norway, it's really, really restricted. So if you've got a snow bike, uh, you can only go from uh, like the road to your cabin and I think even that is licensed you have to apply for a license to be able to do that and you're not allowed to go anywhere else so uh, they're a little bit stricter which is a little bit odd when you think about um, especially places like Svalbard and that where in winter snow bikes everywhere and in summer they're not allowed to take any mechanical vehicles out because uh, in winter the snow bikes um, you know they're going over snow and ice and then it melts and there's no evidence of the bikes ever being there so it kind of is a bit strange that in Norway they don't have the same same kind of rule but I guess they they want the hooligans to go across the border to Sweden maybe <laughs> And join the other hooligans in Sweden for, our, am- for our Swedish friends. It's amazing because you go over the. I mean, we we have a number of Norwegian and Swedish listeners, um, so you'll know this. But if you drive from Norway to Sweden, and it was a nice day on Saturday, and on the border there must have been a hundred cars lined up with um, bikes on the back, and they. Uh, what amazed me is that they. It wasn't like oh we're going to go into Sweden and go snow biking. Is no literally the border within a hundred meters, and we'll stop there and we'll go go into we'll, Sweden, we'll go there. And also it's a lot cheaper. So there's actually a, uh, like an Arctic truck on the border where Selling you can stuff? where you can buy meat and snooze and all those kind of things <laughs> for half the price of the border and bring it back. Uh, awesome! Well, yeah, I was. If, if, you, if you haven't been to Norway or Sweden, really go and make sure you have a friend or yeah, a big been wallet. A couple of times now yeah. since we first went. Yeah, we've, we've been we've been in uh, quite a few times, but yeah, like I said, make sure you have a big wallet for Norway. Um, it's it's not I don't know it's hard to describe. It is expensive for certain things, uh, especially alcohol um, and some. So food. if you're going for a piss up, you're definitely going to yeah. end up skint. But you could always take some in with you. You could I think you can take two liters with you. Well, I took some whiskey in, and uh, as gifts, as gifts, yeah. So anyway, that was my trip. Excellent. Um, well, we are, um, as pretty much most of these podcasts, bringing you this from our office in Scotland. Well, certainly our intros and outros. We've actually, got, we've actually got the windows open and the sun is shining and it is 15 degrees outside. Do you know what the t- max temperature was yesterday? It was a record for the year. Was it? 25 degrees. It's going to be 27 in some places in England today. Yeah. Apparently. So I think spring has finally come. 
Uh, I am thinking of our gamekeepers. I actually just saw one of my good friends who's a headkeeper of a local estate just last night. I was catching up with them because all the grouse are getting busy laying eggs and well, getting I, ready to sit. So. I was I was up yesterday and I could see them all paired up shouting yeah. at me when I was going past. Uh, all the lapwings are out. Um, I've been doing some work with the German Game Conservancy um, up in the, the hills and uh I can. It's well and truly alive. I had my uh, friend with me, um, helping out uh, doing the work, and um, he. Well, he doesn't. He's not really spent much time up on the hills, especially during springtime. Um, and he was looking at all the little birds dotting around. And I've actually got a bird book in the front of my. Um, and he was like, "Oh, what's that?" And I couldn't really see what it was. And he had the bird book out, looking at it. And the amount of species we saw yesterday was ticked uh, off a lot. Ticked off a lot of uh, cool species. Yeah. So I'm hopeful for all those birds, especially in the upland areas, which tend to get hit by the bad weather more than anywhere else. That we don't get any more snow or really terrible cold wet weather and this is it as long as it stays like this we should be okay last year um about the 27th of april around then i think um they had a dumping of snow and it really um well it will have affected uh, all the species i would have thought but um particularly affected the grouse which which they they know and are monitoring um quite well uh and it wasn't good on a lot of estates because they basically lost their lost their broods Mm. because of the snow so hopefully this year this is nice warm spring and all, and especially after such a hard winter i know from another friend of ours up by loch ness that they've picked up a lot of uh dead deer this year yeah just th- just winter mortality because we had such an extended period of re- period of really cold weather i think that's been not just there i think that's been the case all over the country it's yeah. actually even the newspapers have picked up on the 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 deer have been struggling. Well, that that the papers were talking, which was great to see, um, about the responsibility of people walking. And if you see herds of deer, try and avoid like pick another route. Yeah. Because they've really been struggling this winter just because of the weather. Uh, their fat reserves are way way down. They've yes. lost a lot of conditions. So you don't want to have to push them off feeding where they're feeding or just move them unnecessarily. So something to consider if you're out enjoying the hill. Mm-hmm. Um. Thank you for the response for the podcast stickers from our American listeners, by the way. Yeah, high five. Um, I'm not even joking. Within 10 minutes of the podcast going out, we had emails from the our listeners from the United States saying, hell, give us a, <laughs> a podcast sticker. So we've sent a lot from, out from, to you From guys. men and women. So yeah. it's really, really cool. Actually, you know, that's uh, one we- thing that I really like is that... Um, our listenership, and we I can only judge this by the comments and messages on social media and stuff we get, we have a really even spread between men and women, which is awesome. Yeah, that is yeah. really cool. In fact, in fact, here's one. If you are a female listener um, and you want a podcast sticker, then uh, email us or message us and you can have one. You're doing positive discrimination here. Yeah, well, we can do a male, we one, can later. Do a male one later. But yeah, no, it's, it's great to see, especially... And in, you can be anywhere in the world, by the way. Just shoot us a message. And don't don't be getting like if you're a husband or a boyfriend, don't get your girlfriend to do this. We got to be a genuine listener. The rise of uh, of females just pursuing countryside sports, be that fishing or hunting or falconry or anything, but has increased you know a huge amount over the last ten years, which is great to see. You know, great more participation. So this is our little part of helping to support that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, going back to the American listeners, we sent out a shed load of podcasts because we didn't really give a number on it. We just decided that. 
you know, over the next space of few days, whoever email can have one. And we kind of had a cutoff point because it was, yeah, we were getting a lot of, a lot of emails and messages and, and uh, we can only give out so many for free, unfortunately. What we would like is if you were one of the people who requested uh, a podcast sticker and you may or may not have received it yet. I can't remember exactly when they were posted. Um, send us a picture. We'd love we, to see we, a we picture We have been slowly getting them mm-hmm. in now. On Instagram. On, uh, on Instagram, the them coming in which is really cool and you know the more stickers that go out we'll start seeing them at shows and we'll start doing fun things with them so Definitely. it will it'll be worthwhile and they're i think they're one pound 40 or something on the website yeah i can't exactly remember i think it's two pounds total delivery in the and, UK. and like we said before uh we it's basically cost that's what we're giving you to them for because we don't really want you to have to pay f- um extra for them i need you to uh to pick daryl yeah, if that's our somebody's maybe arrived. I don't know. Our dogs are barking. I think it's so. the postman. Is it okay? Well, yeah. we, we we can we can they can deal with that. He can deal with the hounds. Yeah. Instagram or Facebook, pick. Let's go. Let's go Facebook. Okay, and the reason I asked him this is Daryl didn't. I picked someone at random from Facebook and someone at random from Instagram for our prize from two weeks ago, which was a Hornady reloading manual, and we had a ton of entries, and uh, instead of randomly picking. Adding everyone together, so you said Facebook. Yeah. So the winner from Facebook was Dan Bibb. So congratulations, Dan Bibb. You have just won yourself the latest edition of the Hornady Reloading Manual. Hey, good prize. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we are running another competition uh, this week, as we always do. And uh, as I, as the prizes haven't actually arrived here. Uh, but I know that there's going to be reloading manuals. We're going to give away another reloading manual because I don't actually know what else is going to be in the box <laughs> stuff that arrives. It's it's just it's a surprise for us as well when when everything arrives. So. so another latest edition reloading manual with all the latest loads, including all the the Creedmoor loads, which has become a very popular cartridge. Or it's, a lot of people are talking about it in this country. Um, so all of those loads are in there as well. Um, and. Uh, I haven't actually thought about how you're going to enter it, but I, I, I really like the uh, picture competitions because I think people it requires people to interact a bit, yeah. and I like to see what everyone's up to as well. Um, yeah, so just uh, well, spring. We're in spring, so send us a spring type picture. Yeah. Just you it, out. It could be spring. anything. Could be anything. Flowers, birds, nesting birds. Uh, it could just be you going out for a spring walk. Anything that is spring to you. We will have. Because I think the turkey hunts on in the United States right now. Well, there you go. Yeah, so any, I think yeah, that would be that would be super interesting. Yeah. To see what spring is to people. Spring is to world. people around the world. Well, it depends actually what part of the world. No, but, it that's, is. It that's, might not be no, but that's what I'm meaning. Yeah. So this time of year, this time of show year, us yeah. what you're up to at this time of year. It's spring in Scotland. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it's, it's northern hemisphere, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. it should be spring up but here. What about our listeners in South Africa? No, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it won't be spring for them. But saying that, I mean, Norway's still completely <laughs> covered. In They're snow. in winter. Though, They're still in winter. winter. It was uh, melting fast, though. It was melting very fast. When it was we'll out. put something up on uh, Instagram and Facebook as usual. So you can either post a picture below there, or you're very welcome to email the show if you're not somebody who is on social. Um, I was going to, I was in the middle of um, ordering some new trousers for myself. Um, believe it or not, we do actually buy a lot of our own stuff, um, especially if we want specific things. Um, and I went on. In fact, we can talk a little bit about Cotswolds and um, yeah, we could and uh, and their 
what they've been up to. But anyway, I'll finish my story first. So I was on the Taizo store, um, which is another mountaineering store, and I ordered three pairs of trousers, and uh, one pair was like £100, and then there was two on sale that were like £40 each. And I was like, I need them for this season, but lightweight ones. I really like lightweight trousers. Not, I'm, I'm not, I'm right not talking about hunting trousers. I'm talking about like hill walking kind of... We're both wearing them right now. Yeah, we are. I've yeah. got my Peter Storm ones, and you get your North Face North Face, but mine are full of holes. Because and both I, of them I, zip off at the knees. Zip off at the knees, exactly. <laughs> um, I've got my North Face, but they're completely covered in burn marks from uh, when I was in Norway, and I got a bit, a bit close to the, the fire. Tut, tut, tut. So the dogs are going absolutely mental outside. I'll let you finish telling okay, your story while Byron's I going to finish the story. So I was ordering on the Tizer store, and uh, that was fine. Got me three pairs of trousers, and they sent me an email yesterday saying they'd cancelled two pairs of my uh, trousers, and they were the cheaper of the, the, the three of them. And now I went on the store, and I couldn't find any other ones that I really, really like. So I'm asking all of my listeners, can you give a suggestion of some lightweight walking trousers that you might use or you might like? Um, preferably ones that zip off at the knee, but it's not 100% necessary. I can live with just taking a pair of shorts with me now and then. Um, yeah, so give us a suggestion. And the reason why I'm now shopping at Taizo, actually I shopped at them a few months ago anyway, is that I've been a big fan of Cotswolds for uh, many, many years. And um, I've, I've bought, we've bought hundreds and hundreds of pounds between sleeping mats, uh, trousers, um, T-shirts, jackets, you name it. I've bought, bought it from them. Um, mainly because it's very convenient. There's one in Aberdeen. Um, but recently they have um, their brand ambassador and they've got a, a huge... Um, they've got a new collection of clothes with um, Chris Packham, who is a very interesting person to associate your outdoor clothing brand with. Yeah, it is. He's in in the outdoor space of people who like to participate in outdoor pursuits such as hunting or fishing or basically anything where there's some sort of harvesting of natural resources he's not a big fan no he and i wouldn't mind uh, and i'm only going to spend 30 seconds talking about this i wouldn't mind if he had um actual debate with things that he didn't like looked where um possibly things could be done better in the the hunting community but he is just so far to one side that it's just there's no reasoning with the man and uh, i don't think he's he i don't think he's a very good ambassador for people who have multiple use multiple land uses you know there is there is space for everyone and the hunting community do a great things in some respects some respects not so good but he's not willing to have any kind of level-headed discussion on it so for that reason, I will no longer be shopping at Cotswold either. Yep. But I have to say one thing about that is that they they put up a... Um, actually, was the... No, this this was him running a competition, wasn't it? Yeah, for, for, for a jacket of his new collection yeah, with Cotswold. With Cotswold. Um, this was actually on his page. And it's fine. You know, I put up a, a comment under the Cotswold just to say that you know I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be shopping with them anymore. But what I think is really poor from the hunting community is in the competition that he ran to win a fleece. I don't know what what, what did the people have to put up a picture of? Just something just, just outdoors. Just what they think that the outdoor is okay. to them. Yeah. And there were a no- they actually got taken down, but there were a number of people putting really quite unnecessarily grotesque pictures of dead foxes with their brains splattered out. Obviously, somebody had been foxing at night and shot something in the head we all know what that looks like and it might very well be done for you know completely legitimate purposes and it is indeed you know legal to be doing 
but that does not show hunters in a very good light. There were some good there was pictures. Some great stuff from from, from hunting. Yeah, really nice pictures. People out on the hill with a gun. That is absolutely fine. But really think about how the general populace, who are definitely going to be looking at the competition with Chris Packham, view what you post underneath because you did the hunting community a disservice by being arrogant with the pictures that, that some people put up on there. And, uh, yeah, it's not it's not good. So I got a triad of abuse on the Cotswolds post for saying that I'm not going to shop with them anymore from uh, people calling me a psychopath, uh, which was an interesting one. And then another one from... Uh, from another gentleman, you can go and you can go and find it. He um, he has a big problem with our podcast. Yeah, he does. Yeah, especially the links. One the links part. That's one. I think that's the only one he's actually listened to because he he was upset because we didn't give our guest enough chance to uh, reply back because we had done some research after the podcast. Um, but if you go back and listen to the links podcast, then no one else you can make you can make, make your, your own decision. But no, no one else has ever had a problem with it <laughs> apart from this person. Um, so he, I, I genuinely don't think he likes facts. We have a super, super exciting announcement to make in relation to our film festival. Our regular listeners will know that we are running the UK's very first hunting film festival. It is on the Friday evening uh, prior to the Northern Shooting Show, so the 11th of May. We will also be at the Northern Shooting Show on the 12th and 13th. we have already had prizes for our, the winner of the professional category and the winner of the amateur category. The professionals, who wins that, is going to win a Sauer 404 rifle. Quite a prize. The winner of the amateur is uh, going to be presented with um, a set of Minox binoculars. But MOTV, MyOutdoorTV.com, uh, if you want to go and have a look at that, uh, are also supporting the podcast now. And they are supporting the podcast to help um, us um, present something meaningful to emerging talent. It was one of the things that we we talked about in the the spiel when we first launched the film festival was to encourage more people to make great film and tell great stories about the outdoors and what they do in the outdoors, especially in in the hunting space. So we have cash prizes now sponsored by MOTV. The winner of the the emerging uh, film talent prize will get five thousand pounds. The highly commended winner uh, will get three thousand, and what we're calling the rising star will get one thousand pounds. It'll all be in cash. Uh, basically, the only criteria for that, although you can go onto our website and read everything, is that um, it's to be put uh, towards a project in the following twelve months and then submitted to our film festival again. 12 months later. It shouldn't be too hard to do. And then those those films, uh, that, to be eligible for it, your film will go um, up on MOTV as well. It's a, is, that's, a huge a o- that's a huge opportunity to have your your film up on MOTV. Like, yeah. It's massive. It's If you don't know what we're talking about, it's like the Netflix of the hunting world. Yeah. And uh, right now, I believe you can go on MOTV and get a month free. Yeah. So just, and, and by the way, all of Ivan Carter's stuff on is on MOTV. Yeah. Who has been on this podcast? Uh, Jim Shockey. Jim Shockey's stuff on is also on yeah, MOTV. It is. His so, Uncharted series. All of it. So <laughs> go and sign up for it and uh, get watching. Go and you, you'll be able to binge it because it's all there. All the seasons, I believe, of, of uh, Uncharted are on there. Uh, is it not the the winners or entries also no, get li- literally? So yeah, so all the entries to our film festival will get a a free 12-month subscription to MOTV and every single uh, film that's entered will appear inside the DNA Film Festival uh, film 
on the actual um, tab inside My Outdoor TV as well. So the film festival is going to have a section on My Outdoor TV showcasing the evening because it's going to be filmed plus all the films that have been submitted and shown on the night. Yeah. Um, so it's a huge deal. So if you only got a couple of weeks left now from when this podcast goes out, if you have a film that you would like to enter, just do it. Uh, visit thepacebrothers.com. You'll find right along the top, DNA Film Festival. Click that. All of the information's there. And at the bottom, there's a, a tab to click for you to, to enter. And it shoots us uh, an email with the details. We'll get straight back to you and uh, get your film in uh, as one of the entrants. Yep, great opportunity. And you wouldn't have noticed because I, uh, I would have seamlessly edited this. But we had to cut halfway through because the dogs were howling so much. And it's because uh, uh, a delivery arrived of Modern Huntsman. And... Uh, Hopefully everyone that has ordered so far, the Modern Huntsman's on the way or being shipped tomorrow. We are selling out as fast as they are arriving. Um, so you have to be a little bit patient. There's normally expected delivery dates on our website. Um, and they are, are a fairly rough guide to go by. Sometimes it can be a bit longer, but you have to be patient. This is not Amazon Prime. If no. you order on the Monday, do not expect it on Tuesday morning. It is not going to happen. Um, well, I mean, it, it might do, yeah, because because if we actually have the stock, but what's happened was we were selling so fast we had no stock, but where this week, hopefully, we will actually have a, a stock, unless we have a, another 30 or 40 people ordering overnight, yeah. and then we might not. Uh, but, I mean, right now, we are we are selling at an incredible rate, and it's the same with um, the coffee as well. We've actually had to order another whole load of McNabb coffee, because that's been selling so fast. And it arrived the other day. And that's it's just unlabeled. Right. So, well, our, our, we're trying to keep the stock levels up, but people are ordering too fast. And uh, have a look on, in the next coming weeks because we are bringing out uh, new mug designs uh, because of requests of people. And we're looking at travel mugs very soon because um, there's a, a big push in, in the United Kingdom and, and across the world actually for reusable uh, mugs. Me and Byron have been using reusable coffee mugs even when I'm at the game game uh, fairs. When I was there at Schoon last year I had my own metal mug and I handed it over to the the barista and uh, they filled it up with coffee and actually you get more in it because they fill it all the way up to the top yeah. and I think my jug's like a half a litre thing um, and yeah the, people are very good at it um, at you know filling up out of your own your own thing and uh, to be honest you don't need a, a cup every time and yeah, it's the really same don't. same with a water bottle get yourself a good water bottle and then just fill it up instead of having bottled water I know that some people live in parts of the country where um that your tap water is disgusting. Ma it's basically anywhere south mainly of the Lake the, District. Yeah, right? mainly the south. And I know that because I've, my brother-in-law lived down, uh, right down south. Oh, and their water is disgusting. It's, it's a lot of um, lime in their water. Yeah, it's it, very is, hard. it is nasty. If you want us, to, in fact, for £10 a litre, we can send you <laughs> some Scottish water. We were, I don't know if we mentioned this before, but when we were in Svalbard, that is the place where the most expensive bottle of uh, bottle water in yeah. the world comes 140 from. 140 dollars for half a litre of water yeah. and it comes it's glaciated from glacier, yeah. and so basically they go out on a fishing boat and then the bits of ice that drop off the glacier they pick up on a crane because there's pictures of it pick up put it on the deck and then i think they obviously filter it because there's this you, you were telling me something interesting about um glacial ice the other day i was and this was from uh, uh, a norwegian soldier that i was with and uh, he was saying that you i didn't i didn't know this but i've never looked into it so um, I've never really had to drink. And we from don't a have any glaciers. We don't have any glaciers here, but you can't just drink glacial meltwater because there's a lot of micro um, bacteria. bacteria in it, which I never knew. But it makes sense because yeah. it's been there for a very long time. 
So there you go. Top tip if you've never been. Boil your water. The Scandinavians probably knew that yeah, already. Yeah, they probably did. Boil your water. Uh, I think, oh, just one very last thing back to Northern Shooting Show is where we are going to be actually at the show. So that's the Saturday, Sunday, um, after the film festival. Uh, you will see our TP tent there with our vehicle and signage and stuff. But it's going to be right beside a new symposium area, which is like a big open canvas tent. And there's going to be bales and places to sit there. It should be a really sociable area. And we are just busy working with the guys from the Northern Shooting Show now uh, to um, help out with the sort of scheduling of people who are going to talk. So basically on the hour... Every hour, there'll be somebody doing something. It's going to be really cool. It might not be for the full hour, but that's when they'll start. So it gives you, a, like on the hour, every hour, there'll be something going on. So check it out, see if it's of interest to you, and then you can go and listen to people talking about a whole variety of subjects. Yeah, I think that's it. So uh, we have um, two guests on today, and uh, the first one is uh, Davy Hughes. Who's been on before. Indeed, um, and we're going to be talking about um, a bit of bear hunting, buffalo hunting. Uh, he also talks a bit about um, conservation um, and stuff that he's seen on the ground. And then we also talk a little bit about um, new garments coming in for mm-hmm. uh, Swazi. He has some very cool patterns. Uh, we we both wear um, Swazi the, the smock, smocks, the, the tar smocks. Uh, the tar. Oh, I love it, honestly. But I want a tar smock in the new like green and black check that he's just brought up. That smart. That smock. Whenever I put that on, I feel like I can face the elements. Like honestly, it's, show it to me. The, the only thing I I would say with that smock is like on a day like today, it was 15 degrees and it was like drizzling. You could only wear maybe a t-shirt underneath because yeah. you'd get hot very quickly. Um, but fortunately, it does actually zip no, down to your that, belly button. That's really cool. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. So it does zip really far down that you you can regulate your heat quite well. Um, but I put that jacket on and you just, you do, you feel like you can go and face the elements. Tackle the world. Yeah. So yeah, there's not a huge amount of talk on kit. There, no, not but, really. Uh, it's mainly about just Davey being cool. <laughs> and our second guest, you can introduce him. Is uh, Rob from uh, Spartan Equipment. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not sure if I've actually given his company the correct name. It's Spartan Precision. Spartan Precision. Uh, And they make basically world-beating bipods and uh, tripods and shooting sticks. And hopefully camera equipment soon. uh, Yes, I'm quite excited about that. Um, And tents. We talk about um, this really cool lightweight tent that works with the... the, the, It's not the bipod, sorry, the stick. Mm. It's really cool. We talk about it during the show. I always just refer to it as Spartan, which is why I was struggling there. Yeah. You, you, the, the, uh, their logo is unmistakable because it's like a, a Spartan helmet, helmet with a crosshair over yeah. it. Um, very, very cool. I mean, super nice guy. Uh, really interesting. To, we, we do talk about the development of his company there, but he's done some amazing stuff. I, I actually have only just recently realized that through following some of his social media feeds how much he's done. I didn't realize quite how much he's done. We, we didn't even cover in this podcast. And his daughter as well, who we met, has done some incredible, incredible things. We're going to have to get her, her on the podcast. Well, well, one of his daughters, he has more yeah. than one. But, uh, she, she's done some pretty wicked stuff. And also um, her sculpting is phenomenal um but we'll get her on the show uh separately and uh yeah so we we talk about kind of the beginning of the company mm. and going all the way all the way through to what he's up to in a, a few different hunts and how it all came about and also you really cool thing about concord at the very beginning 
There you go. Um, we also mention uh, Mark Newton about the show that we do with Mark Newton a few times, but we haven't actually put that show out. Well, did we mention it in the conversation with yeah, Rob? saying that we've spoke to Mark about maybe uh, this. Okay. Uh, but it's okay, you don't miss anything. So the, the show with Mark is actually going to be probably in two weeks' time. There you go, something to look forward to. Yep. Um, I think that is everything. Yep, that's me. Uh, enjoy the show. Mr. Hughes, welcome back to the podcast. We spoke this time last year. And at that point, we had it had only been a few months since we were in Sweden together, but a lot has happened since then. In fact, not that long after we spoke, uh, a matter of months, you were bear hunting. Yeah, I was um, lucky enough to, to go up to Kodiak Island and hunt brown bear. I guess brown bear is kind of like a, a talisman for me. It's one of those animals that I love to hunt. I love to hunt black bear as well, but brown bear, is, it's a whole uh, step up. It's another level. Uh, your concentration has to be up there. Every, everything about it becomes more of a mental game than a physical game. So w- explain that experience, because a lot of people, I mean, even that part of the world, some a lot of our listeners probably have never been there. It, it really is an adventure. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, like the brown bear is the largest predator walking the planet, basically. So you know, he's he's really at the top of the food chain. And if you want, if you want to hunt uh, browns, then you you've got to be on your game 100 percent you know you, you can't you can't rest really you can't you can't have a moment where you just think oh, I'll just take a snooze especially at that time of year in the springtime when the the boars are chasing the sows you know it's the beginning of the mate they've just come out of the hibernation um, the sows especially the ones with cubs of very very aggressive you know if if you walk on top of a sow with um with cubs you know it can go pear-shaped very very quickly because they're frightened about the boars coming and you know basically eating um the cubs so they're on edge yeah yeah um and that makes life interesting and then the boars they get pretty aggressive as well i can see how it'd be easy for a sow to mistake you as a boar <laughs> <laughs> It's the nose. Gr- it's, it's the big nose. Hairy and grumpy, yeah. <laughs> well, talk us through your, your, the actual hunt that you did there, because you, you, you had a successful hunt. I saw the, the, the picture, at the, the culmination of your hunt. It was quite an impressive animal. Yeah, we saw a lot of animals, you know. I guess we counted over 30, I think it was 37 boars that we saw over the space of the hunt. And it wasn't until virtually the last day of the hunt that I, I managed to... Um, get in on, on this particular bear. I'd been watching him for three days, watched him first come over a saddle, you know, maybe 2,000 feet above me, come over a, a snow-filled saddle and slide backwards down a mountain, and the mountain was so steep. It was, it's like, how can an animal, you know, traverse that saddle and go down that mountain? They're amazing where they go. So I saw him at first and thought, wow, that's a really big bear. Could you, you could tell cool even bear. at that distance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even, even, you know, I, I, good optics are a key um, for that time of year when you're hunting. So I was using my, my Leica spotting scope. You know, can is can I say of, that? Uh, yeah, you can, absolutely. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of spotting. Is it? You, you go there's to locations, an awful lot of spotting. Spot. Yeah. yeah, there's an awful lot of sitting and spotting. Um, because it's, it's quite thick. The alders are thick, the willows are thick, and, you know, yeah, you can walk amongst them and you can bump a bear or you can, can spot a bear up high and then figure out, okay, where have I got to be in three or four hours' time because he looks as though he's heading in that okay. direction. 
And you can try and amb- make a, a route to ambush the way that he's going. Try and do that, or you, you maybe um, find a sow, you know, who's, um, you know, running uh, as fast as she can with a cub or two, and you know pretty soon there's going to be a boar coming along, you know, just, just following the sow. And that's basically what happened on day three, you know. We'd, I watched him the second day, and I thought, you know, we can't really get closer. But on the third day, he was chasing a sow. And I thought, okay, you know, he's um, his mind's on other things. Um, let's go and put the sneak in on him, uh, which we did. We sort of he was way over on the other side of a bay, so we had to get across the bay in, in, a, in a whaler, and then um, sneak in around the bay. You know, very rocky, very slippery. We came up on a flat where we'd we'd seen him chasing us out last, and we thought, okay, the wind's right. We'll we'll move around the edge of this big flat, and we'd we'd only gone. 60, 70 metres, and all of a sudden he'd sort of outflanked us, and um, it became a bit of a race then, so he didn't catch our wind. Um, and we, we ran ran up to a, a big log, basically, and then I snuck snuck forward on my hands and knees about another 50, 60 metres and got into shooting range. He was standing up, and he had this tree. So he's, he's a huge bear standing up, had this tree just bent over and scratching his back and it was and this thing's close and, and I'm just going like oh man <laughs> you know wow. the strength of the animals is something you know that you have to see um, and I and I thought okay as soon as he um, you know stops scratching his back and ducks back down then I'll, it would have been a bit unpolite to let yeah, yeah, <laughs> he I know, to I know, his I know. Um, and and then you know with bears basically the, the golden rule was you know break bone so okay it's just getting the right angle the right shot you know you so what do you what are you shot. what are you looking for like a, a high shoulder shot or? Uh, no and you know my favourite shot on a bear is kind of in behind one shoulder and aiming at the far shoulder okay so a slight diagonal yeah. breaking the far shoulder completely yeah. and if you can't get that then you know try and go through b- both both shoulders. You know, anchor anchor the bear first, and then just keep on shooting, keep on putting ammo onto him because that's the cheapest thing about a bear hunt is your ammo. Yeah. So. Yeah. So and it, it obviously it all it all went down. You dropped the bear and. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I shot the bear. Uh, he started spinning, and then my guide, you know, who's probably 30, 40 yards behind me, he he fired a shot. He had asked, "Did did I mind about a follow-up shot?" And I said, "No, I don't mind." And he had a follow-up shot with his 375 with the um, sissy slots. Um, what do you call those things? Mag- Magna ports? I don't even know what that I is. I call them sissy slots. They're on the end of the barrel. And, oh! Um, <laughs> um, yes. Uh, Magna ports, oh, No, it's uh, uh, muzzle brake. Muzzle brake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so he had sissy slots. But he's slots. behind you. Yeah, he's behind me. So you how know, Because I'd ears? snuck forward. Oh. Yeah. And this was it, you know, my ears were ringing, I fired my first shot, I knew it was a good shot, but I'm laying down, and I hear, boom, behind me, and it's like, I can't get up, because I've got, you know, now I've got this, he was off to the side. Mm -hmm. That's Um, even worse. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, it's even worse, but (laughs) you wouldn't get shot, yeah. I'm deaf in that ear anyway, you know. Um, So he he fired a shot, the best, you know, spinning spinning very, very quickly, Um, and then he fired another shot, and then... I knew if I kept on moving to the other side, I could stand up because mm. I needed to stand up to see, you what know, exactly. Happening? I could see the top of the bear, but I couldn't get a clean shot in. But by that time, the bear had actually expired. So, okay. and um, it, but 
would have gone down with your shot. But it was just yeah. to be sure, to be sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from my first shot, it moved seven yards. Yeah. So, you know, that's... Not far. That's a clean kill, you know, mm. and that's what you're aiming for, you know, clean kill, use good bullets, use, use, use a, you know, a, a rifle you, you're very you, you, accustomed you, you, to. You had a rigby out, didn't you? We yeah, I had my had rigby, f- uh, and probably a little bit of an overkill. I took my 416, but I absolutely love that gun. Yeah. You know, and it's quite We were interviewing heavy. Mark yesterday, actually, which was oh, okay. uh, yeah, about, mainly about the Highland Stalker, but... So, yeah, I was using the, the 416. I'd loaded it down a wee bit. I was using 340 grain Woodleys. The gun just absolutely loves them. Super, super accurate for a 416. And, um, and and I don't, you know, I'm not one of these guys that likes supersonic, you know. Let's see how much we can poke this bullet out, you know. Yeah. For me... So you're not into the super magnets? Nah, no, you know, 416, and if it's somewhere between, you know, 2300 and 2400 feet, that's just perfect. It's a, it's a big a heavy brick bullet. you're throwing. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, so that that was really pleasing, and then you know you've got the task of of skinning the bear, which which takes a fair old time, and and the skin and the head is heavy, you know. Um, so, how far are you from a place that stuff can be picked up at this point? Because um, oh, you, you took a boat, right? So yeah, not so we took a, a boat across. Yeah. Um, so we had to, you know, I the the guide went back up and picked up the boat, and, and basically I started the skinning, and we skinned it out, and. Um, I guess it weighed about 140 pounds of skin in the head. So he got his pack out and he, you know, he was looking at emptying his pack out fully and putting, I said, no, no, look, I'm from New Zealand, mate, you know. We, <laughs> I'm going to wear it, home. We, we, <laughs> <laughs> we carry our own, uh, our own animals. And so he would, had the smile on his face. Was, <laughs> you know, really? I said, yeah, come on, put it in my pack. So it took about 20 minutes to put it in the pack. We got it in the pack and I, I slipped into the, the harness and I couldn't stand up. You know, it's just like, this was a mistake. This is a mistake. Young guy, you know, smiling at me, and I've got this big heavy skin. So he gave me a hand up, and it's like, oh, it's going to be all I can manage to to walk away with this bear. So I started to walk away, and he said, "What you doing?" And I said, "I'm I'm heading back to the to the coast." And he said, well, "What about your rifle?" And I said, "Well, I thought." thought maybe you'd carry it you know? <laughs> he says well i'm from alaska and we carry our own guns you know? so I like, hey, you I asked got, for that right i got 140 pound bear skin on my pack and you want me to you know carry my rugby as well and she's damn right you know so anyway so you manned up i manned up yeah yeah, yeah. My, my knees are coming right now you know i've had, had a bit of physio. maybe six months yeah yeah, yeah. longer how do they, do they, they must have some sort of quota system for the... the oh, brown it's very well managed, you know, and um, it's the second brown bear hunt I've been on. I've already booked a third one. It's that um, in your blood. You just yeah, got to do it. Yeah, just got to do it. Is it in the next year, two years? Uh, it's four years, every four years. Every four oh, years. Okay, yeah. that's, that's a long horizon. Yeah, it is, but hey, you know, book it now and yeah. the, year, the years go by. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's okay, well, it's... Uh, you know, they've recently just shut down all the, the the grizzly bear hunting in British Columbia, which was a bit of a shock yeah, to a lot of I, people, I think. I think it is, and I think it's a bit of a shame as well. And, you know, we're going to see a lot more, you know, human bear conflicts there. Undoubtedly. Yeah. yeah, the people in the towns don't realise just, you know, how many bears are out there. So I think we are we are going to see a lot more of that go on. Um, they've done it before. BC have done it before, and, you know, it's been turned around. So uh, I, I'm sure with enough time. But uh, they, they reckon, I was speaking to somebody the other day, that they've got between now and the next election, essentially, to try and re-educate to get it changed, which is three years. So we'll yeah. see. So 
But what's in store for you for the rest of the year? Um, rest of the year, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got my tar hunt coming up in, in May. This uh, is a yearly thing for you, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you've got to go tar hunting every single year. You know, I love the smell, love, love being up on the top of the mountain. I think that's the whole thing about hunting, whether it's bears, tar, deer. It's actually, it's not the killing, it's, it's actually being out there, being, being in the animal's environment. You know, that, that for me is the biggest buzz, and it's, you know, it's the planning for the hunt, going on the hunt. Yeah, that's, that's important, but once you get there and then it's just like you take a deep breath and you think, I'm, I'm in the wild places. Hmm. So how long, do you, how, how long are you out for your tar hunt? What shape does your tar hunt normally take on a yearly oh, basis? It'll, it'll be five days. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to go far from where you live? Yeah, it's, it's where I'm going down is um, South Westland. So, and we'll fly in by helicopter. That'll save us a day or two because we're going right to the back of a big water catchment. Uh, where we can fly uh, to is about the only place you can land. So it's going to be a good half day's hike from there to, to get to where we'll set up camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we'll hunt for five days and and tramp back out to uh, where we can be picked up. So awesome, really proper hunting that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just you know what it's like. You go away hunting and you come back and all your clothes and your pack, everything you know, smells of smoke and it's just like <laughs> wonderful. Actually, wonderful. my wife <laughs> took uh, one of my jackets off the other day. Cause we were walking the dog and she put it on. She went. Oh man, you used this in camp, didn't you? And it absolutely reeked of smoke. Like a, it was, it was like a barbecue jacket. It was ridiculous. If you put fish inside it, it would have smoked them. Yeah, yeah. We wouldn't have it. You wouldn't have it any other way, though. If you don't, if you don't come back smelling like that and probably smelling a bit, then your trip probably hasn't been long enough. Yeah, exactly. And aside from that, so that's obviously on. That's at home. What about trips um, abroad? Trips abroad. Yeah, I've got one a couple of months later in, in June, heading to Mozambique. Exciting. Uh, Cape Buffalo there, so and I love hunting Cape Buffaloes. You know, it's kind of like if I, if I if I had to choose between say bears and buffalo, it would be a, an extremely hard choice. Bears just make it through, but buffalo buffalo for me is just like now you're hunting. It's mm. I take it your four one six will be joining you on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. No, there there is something there's there's something about buffalo in Africa that just does get under your skin a bit. So it's the, I think it's the way that they look at you, those big old boys. Yeah, yeah, and there's all sorts of sayings from Ruach, you know, like um, they look at you like you owe them money. Yeah. <laughs> last, bu- last Buffalo I shot looked at me like I owed him money and I'd been playing around with his sister and, st- <laughs> and, stole- his wife. and stolen his car and you know, it was just like, he was pretty angry about How it. How long ago was that? Um, that was two years ago now, so yeah. two years since what country? I hunted capes. I, I, yeah, it was somewhere... Perhaps I can't mention. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a um, yeah one of those uh, incidents where um, the animal had had already gored two of our rangers. It was on a conservation project. Wow. And already gored two of the rangers. It's like, well, the next next person he hits, he's going to kill. Yeah. Um, but there's no no hunting in that country. So. Wow. So and that was your job. Go and get it done. Yeah. yeah, and it took six days to do it, you know, six days to wow, track. That's a proper hunt, that. Well, it was one Because it's one animal, bull. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and there were quite a few Duggar boys in the area, so, you know, we had a lot of Mexican standoffs. How with, did you identify buff. which one it was? Uh, they called him the ghost, okay. and his whole face was this ghostly grey, you know. And it wasn't, from the wasn't, age, was it? It wasn't mud, it was just ghostly grey, so, huh. yeah, it's yeah, very small horns, you know, sort of 
stubbed off and yeah yeah that that that's like something of the the stories of old like yeah, it is, yeah. like from capstick and ruach isn't it <laughs> well these guys you know who, who used to belong to the british empire um you know and they speak quite a toffee with a toffee accent <laughs> that's that's how they hunt buffalo too you know it's yeah. it's a fist fight yeah and they want to get in as close as they possibly can i mean we snuck in we leopard crawled to within six meters of this bull before we jumped up. Six metres. Yeah, and it was just like... You must have been able to smell its breath. Oh, man, it was just like... We were both, we were both so scared at the end because I said, so what are we going to do, you know? So we, we've got this synced and my friend said, well, here's what we're going to do, you know? <laughs> we'll get close, so close <laughs> that you think, oh, we're far too fucking close. <laughs> he says, when you feel that, he says, I want you to glance over at me and I shall wink. <laughs> that means we're about to jump up and give them both barrels. I said, right, okay, well, we got within six metres. Fuck, we're far too close. So I looked over at him, and he didn't just wink. He closed both eyes, you know. <laughs> I thought, okay, here it goes. And we both jumped up, and we are both so scared that all he could manage was, <laughs> and that was as loud as he could scream. Well, this buff went crazy. Gave him both barrels. I was using a 475. Both barrels in this thing um, it didn't drop him. You know, he ran about 20 metres. I was using a, a very old gun with modern mo- modern ammo, so I couldn't open it and reload. And this thing turned around and looked at me, as I said, you know, like I'd been... So you've got a stick. You've got <laughs> a stick, got basically, a stick. in your hand. <laughs> I'm looking at him, and, and as I'm smashing this double on my, on my thigh to, to open it. it. And finally it opens, and I pop two more in, and I thought, well, he's 20 metres, you know, we'll finish him off. But no, 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 you know, my, my friend said... Stand tall, Kiwi. Just walk straight at the blighter. <laughs> so, and we walked in Sounds again. Like I was like, oh, yeah. God, you know. Yeah, anyway. You got him down eventually. We did. We did. Wow. Mm. Yeah, look, you need to write that story down if you haven't already. Because oh. that, is, that is the stuff of books, that. Wow. Especially if you can get someone to narrate it with that accent again. <laughs> Oh, they're lovely people, and they do an amazing job. You know, conservation. I've I've been you know privileged enough to be involved with conservation projects on several continents, and every single person I meet at the coalface who's doing all the hard yards, you know, fighting the poachers, you know, doing all the hard work, have always been a hunter, really? always, with, with, you know, without doubt. And yeah. so that's what annoys me a wee bit with all of these armchair conservationists and you know the Facebook warriors. And it's like. Get out there and do it. If you're so passionate about it, get out there and do it. You know, you go and get shot at by a bunch of Somali poachers, or you, you know, these and guys. And that's happening every day. Every single day. Yeah. So, so hunters are conservationists. Full stop. <laughs> we were actually just when we were speaking to Mark yesterday, he was telling uh, on the podcast. He was telling us that uh, in fact you were there in the trip to to India. You went with the Corbett rifle, yes. didn't you? Yeah, you were there. That they uh, tried to give the the money for that they'd raised because I had to go through a charity through a charity to the WWF and they wouldn't take the money because it was attached to a gun manufacturer. Yeah, that's just staggering, it's crazy, isn't eh? It? I've I've actually brought that up with some WWF um, management. Have you? And um, they said, look, that shouldn't happen. You know, oh, they did say that. Yeah, and yeah. they said we we actually understand the job hunters do, huh. and that was that would have been more of a local thing than okay. than that what they're 
global protocols protocols are. So, well, funny enough, I did actually hear, and we we it's, had it's it. actually in there. Um, if you go into the W, because I remember looking before. It's because I, I I recorded the the main guy. I can't remember yeah, his name was, now. Yeah, it was, and it is actually in there, like manifest that they do acknowledge that trophy hunt, hunting or do, any hunting. does have benefits in certain areas. So it is actually on their their website. The main guy there, um, he stood up at the CIC conference last year, and he gave a big speech too, which was predominantly hunters in the room. You know, there was I don't know, fifteen hundred people in the room, and he, and he was talking about it. So you know, they they do communicate, but this was obviously one example. But it's interesting to hear that, and it's a, it's a shame that the, the a local barrier stopped it, you know, going through. But anyway, ultimately the money went to the right place. Cool. And that was a, that was a very cool story and very cool to be part of that, to go and see that being done over in India. It was an amazing trip. It really was. And, and again, I feel privileged to have been invited <coughs> along. Um, you know, what we saw, where we went, just, just you know, it brought home to me, like, Corbett, you know, he died, you know, well, when, when did he die? I'm not actually quite sure when he died. Must quite have been in the 50s, late 50s yeah. or something. But still up there in the in the foothills of the Himalayas, he's regarded as a demigod. You yeah. know? And the people, the crowds that came out to view his rifle and to become part of, you know, to be a part of the ceremonies that were held, um, it was amazing. You got to see a tiger while you were there, didn't you? Yeah. I'm yep. very jealous of that because when I was in India, I went to try, I was in Corbett Park and I wanted to see a tiger. And I didn't, I saw very fresh evidence of it, but I never got to see a tiger. I actually felt, um, sorry for the tiger, to tell you the truth, because I mean, we, we, we had a couple of elephants and we got onto this tiger, but then very quickly after, and we were in the thick stuff, you know, with this tiger, and these guys, you know, the Mahuts got onto their radios, and by the time we'd done a, a very quick circle back out towards where the road was, there would have been a hundred vehicles and, and so many more elephants. And yeah, I know like, what you're saying. Poor bloody yeah. tiger getting harassed every single day. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's even the same. You know, when you do drive the parks in Africa, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's whenever yeah. there's something that you just want that magic moment with, It'll it doesn't take two vehicles seconds for everywhere. There to be yeah. Well, yeah. you look at the migration. You know, the the wildebeest migration and yeah. zebra migration through the through the Maasai Mara and, that, and Serengeti. It's it's just it's like a city of of people in four wheel drives. Yeah, I've never been to the migration before, but that's something. That's another thing that's high, high on my list to see. Have you have you been there during the migration? I haven't, not no. during the migration, and it's kind of like I'd love to, but I don't know if I want to go and share that with some. Oh yeah, there is people. that part, but there must be there, pla- must, be there places, must be places you can go where the tourists don't go during the migration. I don't know. Let's do some research. And yeah, find let's out, let's eh? work that out, and then yeah. we won't tell anybody. <laughs> where <it is laughs> yeah. We've gone. It's like what Daryl was saying the other day. You have a, a newspaper that tells you the the ten best kept secrets of Scotland in terms of locations well thanks a lot not anymore <laughs> <laughs> and there was a guy who used to uh, write for one of the fishing magazines he might very well still do and he did, basically did that he would every month he would write and like, another little gem he, he was an old gent he'd done a lot of fishing so he'd explored all the little hill locks and he, but sadly he thought and it's lovely to share this stuff, but he was telling all the stories of these little gems in the middle of nowhere that you would never find unless you stumbled across them that happened to have big fish in them. But it did actually ruin it because people had no restraint. So, you know, they would see, now they know exactly where to go. You know, they'd head straight out there instead of doing what th- these guys were doing, which is, you know, wander for a few days and bounce around all the little hill locks. They were going out to go and hit big fish where they'd been told where they were and it just destroyed it, mm. which is a shame. 
What's happening with the salmon up there, you know, because the last three or four years, the back, the back end of the salmon has been a bit bit quiet, hasn't it? Um, most of the season's been a bit quiet. You know, some of the rivers have had good spots. Sea trout on the D last year was fantastic. They had some really cracking fish. But on the West Coast, they're still really struggling with the fish farms, although seem, we've actually got a podcast with somebody on it just soon who's uh, working with one of the organizations that uh, we give some money to um, through our coffee uh, initiative and they've been working really hard with government to basically change the way the fish farms are operating on the west coast so that they're not basically killing all the all the salmon all, and all sea salmon, trout yeah. that try and get back out to sea just the sea lice is just destroying them yeah. i mean the bigger picture of salmon is a hard one i don't think anyone truly knows because the, a lot of the rivers are producing the fish they're, they're at capacity in terms of the fish that they're producing that go out to sea at smolts a lot of them are it's just but they're just not coming not back coming back yeah so what's that mean? They're being overfished somewhere? Possibly. Possibly. Or they're not finding the food at sea. Oh. And so but we're we're getting a lot more... Um, pink salmon. Pink salmon. Okay. No. So I wonder, you know, like uh, global warming, perhaps that's... It, you know, they're, they're having to go further, further afield, afield yeah. for, for what they're eating, which means going further and further north, and they're just not coming back. Mm. Well, like Daryl was saying, the weird thing this year was... The Scandinavian rivers have quite a, a, a big run of pink salmon, which came from Russia, which originally came from Canada, I think. Uh, and this year, a whole heap of rivers on the East Coast had a lot of a pink lot salmon. Of okay. Normally, there's like one or two get caught in the, in the year that, you've, that you know about. I'm sure others run that they didn't know, but this year it was hundreds got caught. And they just uh, they said that there was a very good run in Scandinavia, and they're their navigation's shit. <laughs> so <laughs> they probably followed our Atlantic salmon across the North Sea and ended up running with it. Some people are speculating that that might be, well, know, it might be a boost for they've, the they've seen evidence of them successfully spawning. Yeah. Uh, and from, because we've done podcasts with, if, if this does actually happen and these salmon come in, it shouldn't really affect our other salmon because their spawning times are completely different okay. and the way they behave is completely different. Uh, Juveniles I, don't eat in the river. They just go straight back to sea, so it could be a good thing, this new influx of, of, of foreigners. Foreign, foreigners, yeah. but we'll block them eventually when we are fed up with them. <laughs> <laughs> Ban them and send them home. Salmonates. Yeah. <laughs> a little, little bit like Brexit. Do you... Fishing? I've seen pictures of you spearfishing, actually. That's something you do a bit of. Yeah, a, a wee bit of, you know. I love fishing so much because I'm a hunter and I'm not a very good fisherman, but any opportunity I have to fish, I, I'll, I'll take it up, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it's um, because you're in touch. It's a very tactile thing when you're fishing, you know. You can feel the fish. Whereas when you're hunting, every, everything, no matter what you use, whether it's a bow or a rifle, is at a distance, mm. you know. And Unless so it's maybe a knife and you're grappling something <laughs> under <laughs> <laughs> Done that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, fishing for me is, and I love to eat fish. God, I love, you know. You have access to such great fish in New Zealand, though. Yeah, both I mean, sea and and freshwater. Yeah, last last week I was fishing up in the Arctic, up above Tromso in Norway for Arctic char. And uh, no, and uh, we we didn't get onto any char, but we were fishing uh, for cod. Cod. Ah. And the cod um, fishing there is brilliant, unbelievable. So we're catching all of these cod, and I'm thinking, my God, these are the biggest cod I've ever seen. 
And uh, all my Norwegian friends are saying, oh, you know, we are so sorry. The cold are so small. <laughs> That's <laughs> exactly <laughs> what happened when we went there. Their, their small cod would be the largest we ever yeah. caught. Daryl was delighted with the fish he'd caught, which was the biggest of the day. And they were like, I, I don't know where the fish were today. <laughs> yeah. It's like, man. Yeah. <laughs> this is bait fish. Yeah. <laughs> so they're very lucky. And, and, um, and I guess I was lucky to be able to go out there and yeah. fish and and then we th- we actually threw a few cod back, or you know some of the um, after we'd filleted them, and to watch a sea eagle come, you know, off the land because we were out in the open, but came off the land, he had seen for miles this you know this fish we threw out, and he just zoomed in and picked it up and, and went back, and it was just like that was so cool. Yeah. The there the uh, the ability in the eyes of those those high soaring out you know whether it be a vulture or a sea eagle it's just beyond anything that yeah. i can comprehend we think that we have like you know, some of the best well all of the best optics in the world at this show here but no one none of that compares that. to nature yeah unbelievable way <laughs> what do you have new out this year because we're, we're talking to you in iwa on your stand and uh we've been well we've been using some of your stuff for the last year and a half but yep. you've got some new things on your stand this year yeah, and there's some products that will be released probably in the next two or three months. You know, the the one that springs first to mind is the the Tar Ultralight, the Tar XP, which which won the British uh, Shooting Industry Award last year for for best new garment. I wanted to build something that was you know gave just as much protection, um, but was very very light. So I built the Tar Ultralight, which weighs about 340 grams, folds down to next to nothing. Um, and I think um, some people took that up to Nepal on a 16,000-foot tar hunt, you know. Um, it worked. It worked? Oh, <laughs> it did. you're back. Yeah, <laughs> it did. It did work. Yeah, yeah. well, I actually took, took mine last year, um, April of last year. So we test things for about two years before we commercialise them. So I took it up to Kodiak Island. I knew the weather was going to be absolute shite for two weeks. And I thought, oh, God, I'm a bit worried about taking something so light and if it... If it if it doesn't work, I'm going to spend two weeks in, in the worst weather. Um, but I was amazed at how well it worked. And I knew then we had something that, that we'd be able to commercialise. Made some modifications, gave gave, um, gave you and Simon Barr yeah. one to go and take to, to Nepal. We've got some some uh, hunters in New Zealand that have been trialling them, although we've been having a long, dry summer. They, they mm-hmm. haven't given them too much of a hiding. Um, very happy with that. We've also got a, an, another garment, which is, a, we call it the Checkmate, and, and we developed the fabric, and I built myself a coat, and everywhere I went, people said, when, when can I buy one of those? So I, I thought, like that. It's like, that oh. green and black check there is very cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, really like it. I, so. I want to hunt in that. For, for people listening, yeah. the best way to describe it is a, is a kind of a lumberjack check. Or even a lumberjack. Yeah, yeah, green lumberjack <laughs> yeah. check. But in what what cut is that, Davey? What that's one of your jackets? The, that's is the Kagul. Okay. So, um, but this is a new material compared to yeah, what other new material. Use. It's and we actually have some out on some farmers who have been testing it for about nine or ten months. You know, so they've gone through a winter and, and reports back are it's it's an awesome fabric. So good. Uh, it, it it feels incredibly hard wearing. Yeah. Just well to the touch, it does. Yeah, it is. And it looks pretty cool. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I, I think I fancy the red one. Oh, have you seen the red? You showed it. Oh, a picture I showed you. Oh, a picture. okay, yeah. Oh, sorry, we just revealed a, a secret. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, we're not doing the red anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. No, it looks great. And yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed using that jacket in Nepal. The, the lightness of it and being able to layer up and layer down when the wind was coming or in the middle of the day it was really warm so you, you were just happy in a t-shirt but then because it packs down to nothing I could put it in the back of my camera bag because I was always carrying a big heavy camera bag and not a lot of space for a big jacket but that you could just fold it down to the hood and shove it in and it's amazing actually you, how little a layer you need in terms of wind stopping yeah. to get your temperature back up as the sun starts to drop yeah. so that's what I was doing I was just taking it on and off all day as I was, as I was regulating oh cool I mean, we could have made it lighter. We, when we first started developing fabrics, we developed one which is probably half that weight. Half. And it was, um, you know, so from a weight perspective, absolutely amazing, mind-blowing, in fact. But, you know, when we were testing it in, in really bad weather, what we found was, you know, all fabrics were wet out. And when this wetted out, because it was so light, it really almost stuck to your skin, which okay. was fine if you had a a long sleeve base layer, but if you didn't, this would stick to your skin. Then you'd get conductive heat loss and, and basically you'd, get, as well, you'd yeah. get cold and it was like, okay, there's a point where you, you know, light, ultra lightweight actually doesn't work. Okay. So you've got to come back up a wee bit. So, you, you know, it... it so um, you found the, the, the compromise point. Yeah. I suppose you'll also get a bit more durability as the weight A lot more up. durability. And that's the whole thing with lightweight gear, you know. People think they can just go out and absolutely hammer it, but you, you can't. You've, you know, it's like carbon fiber. You have to look after it a little bit. You know? yeah. So, yeah. But I'm very keen to um, to get myself one, the, one of the first ones that comes off the production line. So. <laughs> I, I'm sure that you know a man that can let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a good price. <laughs> David, it's been great to speak to you today. I know that our, our listeners always enjoy hearing your stories, and hopefully, it won't be too long before uh, we see you again. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling by. No. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Cheers. Rob, welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. We're standing in a, a very busy, well, one of very many, many halls at the Ewa show. And we want to talk to you about hunting adventures. But just before we do that, I want to, for our listeners, give a bit of background of who you are, Mr. Spartan. And this will actually be the only podcast we've done the whole show where we talk about a bit of kit. So Brilliant. Thank you. Well, thanks very much, gents, for coming along. So... A little bit about me, personally. That, yeah, that, a bit about you, yeah. and then obviously t tying into how this company started for you and what we're standing in front of. I'll let you describe it, but what, what I'm looking at here on the table. Okay, right. So my background is really climbing as much as hunting, um, and I'm passionate outdoors person. So be it whether I've got a fly rod in my hand, a rifle in my hand, or a couple of ice axes. doesn't matter. It's just an excuse to get outdoors. I've never had the balls for ice climbing. But, <laughs> well, I probably haven't anymore, actually, as because this is now my climb, actually. Yeah. And actually, it's the one thing that I've probably stopped doing that I'm probably not missing. Hmm. Because it's just... I climbed, used to climb a lot with Simon Yates from Touching the Void. Oh, really? Right, yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, we did a, fir a few first ascents in Greenland. We failed a first ascent in the Himalaya. Whereabouts? Um, that was up the Tammy Valley. Wow. Yeah, got to about sort of four, four hundred meters from the top, and then we all it all let go. That was another story. Um, but um, I, I, I really came about from doing this because I thought the shooting industry was behind the drag curve. I, bet I spent a lot of time in aviation, so I was always working with new materials and such like. Left school with no qualifications, lads. Uh, you know, I really could barely read and write to be honest but I've got one of these mad minds that I'm constantly tortured about how can I make things better 
I used to take a lot of people hunting for Viscount estates and such like, so I got frustrated with the Harris on my back. I think the Harris is a brilliant bipod, by the way, and it's an excellent tool for what it was made for. But it's just materials have moved on. And I got frustrated because I probably only needed a bipod once every 10 times I'd go out. Sure. So I took it off. I know the feeling. Most of the time I hunt without a bipod. Yeah. <laughs> for but, that reason, yeah. But my problem was I had a Swedish guy. I got him into a lovely roebuck. Didn't have a bipod. It was my fault because I didn't give him the tools to do the job. Long story short, I thought there's got to be a better way. Um, we bought the test nose of Concord um, you, and we got it turned into a piece of art. Um, <laughs> Just, sorry, hold that on. That was a cool piece we, of we history. We need to pause right here a second. You bought the <laughs> test nose of Concord. We bought the test nose of Concord, serial number six. If you look it up, it's called the Icon. Really? And it's a beautiful, it sits on a big stainless steel tongue, right, that we had made. And it all rotates. We had it outside the Royal Albert Hall. We've done all sorts of things. It's probably getting covered in dust. In Where Oxford, is it now? In Oxford, uh, tucked away. It's a, it's a Mr. G. Well, we we, 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 um, it's probably worth a bit of money, so we don't need the exact location. <laughs> <yet. laughs> no, it probably is worth several million because yeah. it's just it's a one-off. Mm. Yeah. And in theory, that thing's flown twice the hours and cycles that every other Concorde done, but it's on the ground, simulated. Yeah. So they use that to crack analysis and blah, blah, blah. Amazing. Anyway, that's another lie. Yeah, right. so, you you kind of yeah. caught me off guard. <laughs> so the nuts and bolts of it are, when we were doing the Concorde, we put it on an Olympus engine bearing. So the whole thing just rotated, the Olympus being the engine that powered Concorde. So we used a big bearing from that, a Rolls-Royce bearing, and we didn't want any ugly bits, so we covered it up with a couple of clamshells, and the guy used some rare earth magnets, and it was, you know, 16 kilos, these tiny little... And I said, right make me a bipod that goes on my rifle with a magnet and that was the end of my genius lads that was the so bit th that was that was the seed that was, was, the was seed. this magnet so, and concord so all of that history from concord is the reason that we are here today wow right so it's a nice little story it's a bit mm. of fantastic british engineering that in some way we've continued and um so long story short I got back into, I made my little Heath Robinson, or rather an engineering friend, made a couple of little wobbly metal legs that went on, and I used that thing, and we killed a lot of deer with it very effectively. And I thought, I better get the patent for this. So I got the patent for attaching bipods, monopods, and tripods to rifles, cameras, and optics. Stupid simple. Stupid simple. And really, With, with the magnets. With stuff. the magnets. So... Then I needed to look at materials, and I thought, well, actually, we've moved on a bit. So we really blew up a lot of carbon fiber um, getting there, a huge amount. Actually. I mean, carbon fiber is not just carbon fiber. No, no, no. And I'm, I'm by no means an expert on it, but I'm an expert at destroying it. Um, and we finally found, we went for a Japanese carbon in the end, five layers that had a lot of flexibility, but hugely strong. I mean, you can run this stuff over. It really is... So, I mean, could, 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 you, could you drive over this in a car? Well, I have, in a G-Wagon. Yeah? So, so that's quite a heavy vehicle. Yeah, yeah, and look, it's not pretty, but it still works. Yeah. So It doesn't break. No, no, it doesn't no. break. You, you'd shear the head before you break the carbon. We've sold 25,000 of them. We've had magnets fall out. We've had things fall off and blah. We've never had a broken leg. So pretty chuffed about wow. that. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean... And then we started four years ago, almost to the, at the British Shooting Show, with a little bit of plastic green grass and a few rocks. 
that we nicked from Norway. From Norway. <laughs> it's, and it's, it's a really lovely story. And we worked with some brilliant, brilliant people. And we got out there and we were showing people. But it's an expensive product to make. Mm-hmm. And the initial first views were, oh, this is a hell of a lot of money. So it was really difficult. And then Blaser came along and said, we really like your bipod. We want it exclusively. So this was one of your, this was the start of your partnership. This was a birth, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that happened quite quick. They got it. Uh, They had it nailed. And and Germany, they don't like using bipods. So this was an answer to something that, I mean, Dortmund... You never see bipods for sale. No, it's not in the, the no, culture. Not, I mean, they've no. got different terrain there as well. Exactly. Shooting of sticks, or they're doing a lot of driven shooting. Exactly. Yeah. But we've sold a huge amount of bipods into Germany since uh, Blaser. And that was a really good relationship for us. It was symbiotic, really. I mean, they clearly have done well. But it, it put us up at that right top tier level. Because you've got a certain quality yeah. associated with yeah. a brand like and, that. Yeah. And really, we've stuck at that. We work with great guys like Strasser, um, Blaser, Sauer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've now got Sacco and Ticker. We're hugely excited about that. We're working with Weatherby, um, Kimbers. Uh, yeah, the list might be short if you just tell us who you're not. No, <laughs> not yeah, well, you yeah, basically, everybody we've approached <laughs> yeah. is now using or in the process of using our gear. So we're really, really excited about that. We're even making a bipod for Rigby. Yeah, and it's, uh, that's tremendous. Yeah, it's a really nice story. And... Um, the company couldn't be any smaller. I mean, you'll come down one day and see us. It's a tiny little, we work out of a little barn. We assemble the products there, um, get the kids in to build them. We all, well, it, your, your daughter's on the stand right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, Jenna's there. She's, she's flying. And um, it's, it's really nice to have... So have you your, assemble 25,000, well, more than 25,000 by hand. all built by hand in our little fat and if you come here you'll see we'll get you to build say, yeah. <laughs> if we come down we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, the payment will be that we have to yeah. come build some bipods the, the deal is you come and have a gin and tonic at three but you have to make <laughs> ten bipods no it's it's a really lovely story and for a 50 year old to have started that business when your kids are part of it and things I'm, I'm very very proud of that that's, all, yeah. that's, that's yeah. fantastic and, and it's not for everybody eh? I, I, I almost akin it with like an athlete our, our, our products are very specialist, and I think, and I get people say, "Well, I prefer Harry's." I said, "Absolutely." I said, "They're great tools for what they are." With the last thing we're ever going to do is not the competition. Actually, it's healthy. I said, "This is for a bipod. This is a bipod for people that really don't like bipods. Mm-hmm. It's a tool to put on, take the shot, do the shot put ethically, and put it away again." Mm-hmm. Um, I had a great um, experience in New Zealand recently where I went out with a couple of really good fellas, very, very fit lads, and it was basically a management job for TAR. And uh, I'd been a climber. We, I mean, we got helicoptered in, and I thought, well, this is cheating. And I was actually a little bit angry about that. All that did actually was buy us a few more daylight hours. We still didn't get back until 3 o'clock the next morning, and I was right royally done in. <laughs> uh, but the guy that we were with, lovely guy, he said, I gave up with bipods. 10 years ago because there's nothing that will work in this kind of terrain because of the steepness yeah. of it and well two tar later off the javelin he said you've cracked it you know he was proper and when i've got serious heavyweight hunters like that going you could see the smile on his face and say this is this is a game changer for me well needless to say i didn't get the bipod back <laughs> yeah. i yeah. think that's fair if you went hunting tar yeah i think it's a fair trade yeah fair yeah trade. no no he was it was a brilliant it was so good i'm I'm trying to eke another one out of him. <laughs> yeah. We were speaking, we did an interview with um, Tomo yesterday. Yeah, lovely. And we were talking yeah. about uh, the trip up for Ibex. Oh, yes. What, what was that like for you? 
Um, I mean, being a climber, that's I was really comfortable in that environment. Yeah. Um, again, I, for, for those kind of trips, I think it's the chemistry of the people that you're with and some great characters. David, oh, yeah, of course, David was yeah, on your yeah, trip, yeah. Yeah, and it was a bit of a new arena for him, and bless him, he, he, really, he really jumped in fully and really embraced. It, those kind of environments, if you've got somebody new to it, they can either go one of two ways, in my experience. They write royally don't like it and it becomes a problem for everybody or they go, get on with it and do it. Um, the, f- shooting something or hunting for me is just a tiny piece of the... It's the excuse to be out there. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It gives you the reason yeah. for saying yeah. 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 And I mean, for us, that, couldn't, that was an absolute magic trip. And um, I mean, we were great because we got so much of the footage on film and obviously was, we had a great shot there and a great result, which was very much a team effort. I wasn't using my rifle, I was using somebody else. I was using other people's brains because they said, we need 48 clicks on this, Rob, well, where's the wind? So all I did really was line up and pull the trigger. And had I not had that team around me, I would never have achieved that shot. And the other thing, people suddenly come up, so well, it's great. I said, what you don't see is the ones I've missed, right? And it's, it could be five metres. We've, I think enough people do hunting. I had a really good... Uh, my son is 17 now, just about 18, and he, he's, he said he wanted to start hunting when he was 14. He said, Dad, I think I'd like to do this before I don't want to do it. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. Really thinking about it, and he's very, very ethical, right? And I'm so proud of him because the first time I took him out, he shot a muntjac. That night, he invited his mates round, did it all, cooked it, scraloped it, skinned it all himself, and I thought, that's what we're doing, guys. Is he yeah. still doing it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves it. And he hasn't, he's done it very, very well up until now. I, and the thing for him is one day when maybe it does go wrong, as if you do enough, it can If you do happen, enough eventually. That will really hurt wrong. him. Yeah. And then I, I, I wonder I, how. So I understand what you mean. He, yeah. he was concerned about doing it right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so the tools that I'm providing or we as a collective are providing are what I call ethical tools. I get the odd person, and they're normally over my age or older, saying, well, I shoot freehand. And I say, you owe it to the animal not to do that. Yeah. that we're all entitled to our own views. I love hunting. I don't pretend to run away from that. I think it's in our DNA. But what I really like is the result. That's why I like fly fishing and not carp fishing, because I can take it home and eat it. <laughs> I might choose to let it go. But that yeah. whole thing, I enjoy the cooking. I enjoy the process. I enjoy the people. I find most hunting people really quite herbal and probably much more in tune with the planet than yeah. a lot of people that aren't. There's some great, great characters yeah. in this part, in, the, in this industry and community. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we've had great support. And, and certainly in America, we were getting people come and tap us on the back at the shot show and say, guys, you are killing it. And you know, that's Did you stuff. have a standard shot show? No, no. No, no but just we there. had a little Spartan T-shirt. <laughs> and that was enough. Yeah, and people were coming up. And I think, you know, four years ago, yeah. Nobody knew who we were. Coffin Rob and I were having lunch with the NRA guys, and hmm. they, you know, we were pinching ourselves and thinking, if they saw our little shed that we worked out of. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's a good story, and, yeah. it, and I'm, I'm enjoying the journey. It, it has its frustrations. I've fallen in a lot of trenches on the white troughs, ditches, whatever you want to call it. Luckily, I've had great people to pick me up and support me. I mean, we've got Mark Wheeler in the States who's... Very, very intelligent. We've got James Shepard who's a training captain for BA. Coffin Rob. So, you know, Janet, the kids, they're all been really, really good. And we've got a guy called Richard, who we call the headmaster, who comes from a printing background, but he's very bright and he really sort of, he's managing us. Mm. And when I left aviation, my PA came with me 
um, she'd been working with me for 20 years and she said, boss, I'll come with you. And I said, I can't pay you, Paula. And she said, oh, you will. You know, <laughs> took me 10 months. But she, and we'll make it work. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when, uh, are you going to have a bit of time to do some hunting in the next that, 12 months? Do you know, that's exactly my goal, yeah. right? Because I'm 55 this year. Right, and I want to. You don't be look a day older than thirty. Yeah, that's good, man. <laughs> I love you already. Right. Um, I just, for me, the next fifteen years are while the knees are still working and the joints, and I do try and stay as fit as I can. Living in these shows isn't healthy. No, it's not. Right, um, a bit of daily. I don't, we don't even know what the weather's doing, do we? No. But so I, well, I finished this. And I'm off to Patagonia for ten oh, days. Wow. With a fly rod, no phone, no computer. Right, I know some guys who've just come back from there, oh, and yeah. they had just yeah. the, they were guiding there, and yeah. wow, the uh, pictures I, just blow you away. I, I, I'm in love with that place, and if I had to, pick, I've never been. Oh, well, you need to do a podcast and go and get some hunting, <laughs> and I've got some very good friends down there, so I could link you in with some brilliant people. But the fly fishing there, if for hunt for for stalking trout. Mm. I think it's the best in the world. I used to work a lot in New Zealand, so I've fished all over New so Zealand. So how does it compare then? Because New Zealand for me is always what I've, although I've never been, we're going this year, uh, although Daryl's been to New Zealand, that's where I've always held up as if you want the big, big trout and that trout fishing experience, which is my favourite thing to do. Yeah, same for me. Would be New Zealand, but yeah. is Patagonia, is it, I, I, is it different? I, I'm going to give Patagonia another mark really? on top. And the reason being it holds more fish, mm. right? The thing about New Zealand is there aren't many people there but everybody fishes, right? <laughs> and there's nothing more depressing than you trekking in for like four or five hours and then somebody helicopters in and plumps one in front of you. Funny you say that because yeah. that is exactly the conversation I just had uh, just, just last week with one of the guys who was guiding. They were actually guiding some yeah. clients over in New Zealand yeah. and they got a day in and found out that there had been people above them the whole time and they wondered why, why, where were the fish. I mean, yeah. they were obviously there, but they'd been spooked. Yeah, and there were people above them who'd got in a day before. Yeah, I, I've been on that. Uh, I've heard. And the thing is, you've got to work hard to find a fish in New Zealand because it doesn't hold a lot of food. They're very, they're sparse. So in Patagonia, I, I'm talking the Lake District area, not down south, because I've never gone. To, I've climbed down south. You know, um, I've climbed a lot down there at Tierra del Fuego and such like, but I've never fished down there. I fish in the central Lake District area around sort of north of Bariloche and they've got some fantastic rivers. And you, it's the closest thing akin to sort of hunting with a rod, isn't it? So are you fishing for a specific fish then? Yeah, I, brown trout and rainbows. No, so when I, I mean, are you able to like identify oh, a fish? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, it'd be, if you like that... I, I love stalking yeah, you, trout, you, yeah. It, you, it's your mecca. And... Um, yeah, I, I, it, I, really I didn't need another it. location that I needed no. to go. <laughs> no, no, you've got one now. You've ruined us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But New Zealand's great, eh? Mm. I mean, and the people are great. It's just, it's a lovely, lovely country. But, but is it, it, is the fishing in Patagonia like fairly free and available? Or yeah, how does it all work the waters. There? It's a bit very much like the states. If you yeah. get in the river, you can fish it. So it's just the access. That's yeah, the issue, it's the access. It? But sometimes you have to work really hard to get round to get into the access. Okay. As long as you can get in the river, you're you're free to. And fish. do you pay like a, a permit to the it's government? It's a license. Or? Yeah, it's I don't think nothing. it's much. Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, I, I I've got a French mate that I go with, and he sort of tends to set all that up. And he's got an old car out there. And we just bum around and find rivers and Ugh. have a jolly good time. Yeah, that sounds like yeah. heaven. Yeah, it is. It's properly heaven. So that's going to be your your escape from all that's this madness my, that's, at the start that's of this year. That's my getting out of this zone. For a for a wee while. And are, are we going to see? Are we going to see a, a Spartan wading staff? Well, that's a really good <laughs> idea. Yeah, actually. Oh God! Don't start me. I've got like people say. People come to me with great. Uh, there's a great guy in Ireland called John Tu. He's a lovely, lovely man, and he, he 
he introduced, he, he comes up with all these ideas and he's very clever. And I said, oh, John, don't give me any, because I've got like six years of stuff going on in my head. And um, being a little company, you can only do so, so much. much. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, we call it a sweet shop day. So what happens with us is every month the orders sort of get bigger and bigger. And that means we have to buy more and more stock. Mm. And so we go into the sweet shop and everybody said, well, I need a few of those or I need this. And, and you have to sort of go, right, guys, this is what we can actually afford to do. Mm-hmm. So it's quite good, actually, because it sort of man- it manages things um, and stops you blowing up, hopefully. Uh, but, yeah, I'd love to do a wading, a start a wading start. Yeah. Okay. Next project, into yeah. fishing. Yeah, definitely. We're very excited about this. Uh, the well, the, the, this, I think, is very interesting. What, yeah. we're, what we're pointing out right now is using the, the tripod sticks as the basis of a tent, a super lightweight tent. Exactly. And it won't be for everybody, eh? Um, but it, it's... it's that's made out of Cuban fiber, which is, it weighs less than 500 grams. And there's no zip on this. This is the most utilitarian. It's basically... It's a, a, a shelter. Yeah, it's a yeah. shelter. Yeah. Right. I'm going to go with Orflinthrop from Sweden. We're going to go up to the Arctic in, it, in October. Test uh, it For out. Cape Bacaley. And I said, yeah, I might have a thicker one than his. <laughs> but I said, that's your tent. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, and. am Good fun. All these projects, it's so good because you, you go to bed and just, I often wake up at three o'clock and I'm th- it's my most creative time and I think, oh, yeah, this is where we need to go. And, it's, and then it's, you fall asleep and forget a little bit of yeah, it. Yeah, That's well, why I, I leave a pad, I've yeah, got I a pad beside same. my bedside yeah, table I so I can take notes if I think of stuff in the middle of the night. And it's like, it's like the Sentinel. I mean, I'm really happy with how the head has evolved. It's really, really where it needs to be. But the, the leg locks, we buy bits off the shelf. Now we're not buying anything off the shelf anymore every single part of that sentinel tripod will be designed and made for us in-house um and that's and we're using some great carbon from france um it, it's it's but it's it's it takes time to get all to these evolve things. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly and you always want things to happen quicker but by our experience if we try and rush it we fall over yeah, yeah. you've and got to get it right yeah exactly and um the best people are telling us whether we've got it right or not and we do listen are the customers you know they come back with great feedback so you've got like thousands of design engineers all going down have you thought about this have you thought about that and 99 percent of it honestly is great positive feedback and it's lovely to get that and say people say i love this but if you thought and they thought oh yeah yeah that's a great idea so with having all those testers out is 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 a huge asset as long as you don't become arrogant and you don't get too big for them. And we're a little tiny company and I really value that input. So if, ca- if people you are out there, keep, keep the it coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back it's forth. very important for us. Mm. And it's very important to know we're getting it right, but clearly it's more important to know when we're getting it wrong, mm. right? And you get negative people on Facebook and bits and pieces. I guess that's human. Yeah, it could be the best, whatever it is, it could be the best product in the world yeah. and you will see negative yeah, feedback and you on think, something. Oh, come on. God. And that, I, I still find that a little bit upsetting and I shouldn't. Well, it's so close to you. you yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've had out of 25,000 bipods sold, well, over now, we've had seven sent back where people have said, I really don't like this and don't get on. I mean, Apple Mac would be pleased <laughs> with be the returns. Like that, yeah. I'm sure there's other people that don't get on with them but to have only seven returned I'm hugely um, pleased about that and sometimes it's our fault for not explaining how the product works 
and the, and the use of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what it, and maybe people buy it for the wrong thing. You know, if mm. I was working on a range all day or doing stuff like that on flat ground, I'd use an Atlas or a Harris. You know, mm. weight's not an issue. It's not for everyone. As I say, it's it's sort of like think of them as athletic tools, right? For people that are really prepared to push the extra extra mile. As I've got older, my rucksack now, if I go climbing, would have hardly anything in it. And I, can, yeah, I can shave kilos off by using that tent, the tripod as trekking poles. and mm. uh, It's important, especially yeah. when you're doing extreme stuff. And especially when you're getting older and your joints and <laughs> knees don't work like they used to. I haven't quite got there yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a nice journey, so I'm making things as easy as I can. You know, it's, uh, yeah. Rob, it's been great speaking to you today. I think we're going to have to try and do a podcast with you in a hunting environment at some point. Love to that do would be that. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Around Love a campfire. Yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely up for that. Or in Patagonia. Or, yeah, or yeah. in Patagonia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just wait for the invite. Through the bring, it, bring it on. <laughs> well, so Thank nice you very to much, Rob. Good guys. to speak to really you. Really Keep up the great work. You think you guys do a fantastic job. Cheers. Yeah. Speak soon. And that's it for another two weeks. Join us again. Um, well, like I just said, in two weeks' time, it'll be it normally comes out on the, the Thursday, Thursday morning or afternoon. And um, I th- well, like I said earlier, I think Mark's going to be the next guest, and then we might have Lisa Lisa on as well. With yeah. with, but we're also possibly the only we're going to try and get um, Charles Post on the podcast very soon. He is the current guest editor of Modern Huntsman magazine. And uh, I've been, I've had a couple of conversations with him, so he's definitely coming on the podcast. It's just a case of arranging time, and very soon we'll have Tyler back on as well because he's going to be sitting probably where I'm sitting right now in our office in about three weeks' time. Yeah, which is uh, really cool. Um, thank you for all the people still leaving reviews. Uh, it's greatly appreciated on uh, all of the platforms. Uh, you can download the show on everything you can think of any any podcasting platform: Acast, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, iTunes, Stitcher. You name it, it's on them all. Uh, it's also uploaded to YouTube as well if you want to. There's and no, Facebook. And Facebook. There's no video uh, on it, but that's going to change in the coming months. Yeah, we were working a plan, a cunning plan for the video feed. If you want any more information, uh, then head to www.thepacebrothers.com um, or if you want to email the show, it is podcast at paceproductionsuk.com, which uh, loads of you do. And uh, I think I, don't know, I was going to say, oh yeah, um, on the website we um, we do desktop backgrounds that you can download for free, and we've just put up a whole load of new a whole ones, whole bunch with our new logo or updated logo. We're going to be trying to do some mobile versions very soon, but it's for computers. We know that we we've actually get a number of emails from people asking when are you going to put up the new ones, um, and we just have. So this is really it's, cool it's amazing how we had one one uh, one listener. And follower who uh, said, I, "I've been checking every week for weeks, and you haven't put up a new desktop. We didn't realise people uh, <laughs> wanted them that badly. So, we have listened and we have delivered." Oh, um, join us again in two weeks' time. <laughs>